0: Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. This week we have Gauta Julieson from Torfin. Torfin makes composites with graphene and polymers, including biopolymers and recycled plastic for applications in things such as packaging, compostable bags and more.
1: Thank you for joining us on Talk Green to Me. It's really We're really glad to have you here. Yeah, so can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background?
2: So my um, name is Gauta Juliusen. Juliusen. Um, I'm originally from uh, Norway. I am a mechanical engineer by training. Took um, a master's degree in robotics, and I'm hoping to um, translate that into massive scale manufacturing uh, one day. But um, I've been an entrepreneur of a few different companies. I've been a venture capitalist. And uh, now I have a chance to basically go uh, and do a startup that I think is going to be quite um, substantial and impactful um, for the world in an area that we really need, and that is in the area of packaging.
1: And how did you make the transition from robotics or mechanical engineering into packaging?
2: Quite simple. I uh, observed that the Nobel Prize for discovery of graphene came about in 2010, was given to two scientists at the University of Manchester for a material that is unique um, and unlike anything that's been discovered before. Graphene is a nanomaterial uh, that is both the world's strongest, lightest, thinnest, most uh, conduct- conducting at room temperature for electricity, most thermally conductive uh, in the world. It's 95% transparent, which means you cannot see it. It's uh, a a material that uh, basically um, can be derived from the environment with negligible carbon footprint because it's pure carbon. And I figured that this um, is an opportunity I cannot miss. So I went all out uh, looking for um, putting together a team to uh, basically do research and development to find a um, green way to manufacture graphene and then uh, take it to market in um, the global market one after the other where it can have an industrial scale impact um, on, on, the, on the world.
1: Could you tell us how that led to Torafine and how Torafine got started?
2: We had uh, spent about uh, eight years almost uh, in developing uh, a green manufacturing method for uh, graphene. Uh, and uh, developing different types of graphene so that we have been selling to research and development specialists around the world, um, to, to, to most uh, larger universities in the world, actually, in all corners of the world. And then we hired Roland Berger to um, basically help us with a go-to-market plan for how to industrialize uh, graphene in at least one industry vertical. And they selected packaging. I mean, Roland Berger is a management consultancy, uh, the leading one in Europe, the way that McKinsey might be the leading in the U.S., but they um, came up with, um, you know, several different industries for, for us, uh, for graphene, electronics industry being one of them. They looked at uh, 3D printing as a way of manufacturing and cement um, or concrete, but the packaging industry is in um, quite a dire need for a transformation. Uh, according to Roland Berger, in that um, there are materials uh, today that are not not optimal from um, the standpoint of uh, the nature. There could be a shortage in supply over time. Perhaps, uh, you know, petroleum products will be less available and be depleted. And so an alternative is needed. And they thought that this should be the number one um, area for us to focus. And basically, we established a spin-out company um, from the original graphene manufacturer called Graffitene, Called Torafin, and that's where I find myself in my full-time uh, job now. That was in 2018.
0: It was interesting to hear about um, graphene use because I, ha- I actually hadn't yes. heard that before, so that was really yeah. fascinating. I assumed like electronics just took all the graphene for themselves.
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. No, and and this was, you know, for me um, a key reason to get into graphene in the first place. You know, I was looking for something big. I always have been looking for something big, and then I saw that okay. Graphene, yes, the scientists are interested in that taking over for semiconductors, for example, right? I didn't think that was so excited because semiconductors are already pretty good. And these things are still relatively small in terms of volume. But if we could, you know, take uh, over the main materials we use on this earth, whoa, this is (laughs) my mission. (laughs) And now it is my mission.
1: That's really awesome. Could you explain what some of those materials might be?
2: We think that there is room for a better plastic where, yes, oil and gas and recycled plastic um, is is a good uh, solution for, for, for many um, applications in plastic. But then there is also a need for um, a different feedstock because we can't rely on oil and gas being the feedstock for the next uh, 500 years. And that, we believe, is natural materials, uh, biomaterials, biomass and that could be uh, organic waste. So if we can use waste, for example, as a new feedstock for packaging, or we can use lignin from the paper industry, which is not really used for paper, uh, and we can use um, uh, fast-growing organic uh, things like seaweed, like uh, hemp, all of these can be used for packaging. And they would have the additional benefit of actually contributing to, um, in a positive way to control climate change, and to clean the nature, natural environment, and make it healthier. And that in turn will make humans healthier.
0: So how did the compostable or maybe biodegradable polymer industry get started? When did people decide that it's important you know, to move away from fossil fuel
2: polymers? What we had in packaging before plastics, um, I mean, uh, synthetic plastic was invented, which is a few scientists and organizations have taken credit for inventing plastic. Um, the invention of Bakelite from um, Union Carbide, there was a invention of a plastic product in Sweden that was invented uh, basically by one of the uh, veterans of the uh, paper industry. The uh, motivation for inventing uh, plastic was that the biopolymers um, that were used were starting to reach um, inexhaustible supply. The leading biopolymer before plastic came about was um, basically um, paper from trees, and trees were being cut down, and there was a a needful alternative. Plastic also had advantages over um, natural polymers, basically strength and stretchability um, without breaking, and barrier. So plastic was invented with a better barrier to uh, basically moisture and gas getting through, um, meaning escaping the product through the packaging or getting in where it's not wanted uh, in through the packaging and to the uh, to the content. So there was there was a need to to, to, to invent anew based on the lack of feedstock and then for for um, for uh, performance purposes. What about now? So now we're finding ourselves yet again in a situation where um, plastics feedstocks, which has been oil and gas, are now with recent discoveries and having experience with this material now for more than 50 years, uh, being in the environment and, you know, much of this still remaining in the environment. Uh, we realize that it's not an ideal situation to continue with. Having said that, that's just a small, small piece of the picture totality picture i think you know what grows on the planet that can replace plastic or fossil fuels and metals because we are not only talking about replacing fossil fuels right we're we're we need to replace metals too because the metals are running out and the practices where we extract them you know like is, it can't continue
1: can you tell us a little bit more about torphine and what the company does um what the goal is
2: what it boils down to um, that we do is we are non-material scientists. From our point of view, uh, after having been in this industry now for 12 years, the most deep tech difficult part, which is to uh, disperse some graphene or nanomaterials materials like graphene, because it doesn't have to be necessarily graphene, but um, like mica, like um, uh, carbon black, um, graphene is the most pure non-material component that could be the template for building nanomaterials that are compatible with, with uh, um, uh, polymers. But to disperse it into polymers without it agglomerating, um, basically without it becoming um, lumps, and that is uh, the essence of what we do. We're using um, chemicals, catalysis, and um, very advanced chemistry um, and physics to, to do this.
0: What does adding graphene do to Packaging, like why is this an advantageous additive for packaging?
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd say it it really is mainly two things for now at this stage of development and also on this stage of need in packaging. For the moment, packaging is in need of, in the case of uh, biopolymers, uh, for more strength because it's not as strong as. Plastic, or as synthetic plastic, uh, meaning fossil fuel plastic. And it's for both uh, synthetic plastic and bio-based plastic, it's the need for barrier. And barrier is essentially protecting the product from the outside environment, um, like oxygen coming in from the outside and then making the uh, product on the inside degrade and um, essentially spoil which means that you decrease the shelf life and that increases the waste of food, which uh, nobody wants. And then preventing the, what you want to protect inside from escaping, for example, flavor, aroma, scent. It could be a bag of potato crisp where that is in order to keep the crisps crisp, it needs to be filled with nitrogen gas. And if you put nitrogen gas into a plastic bag, say, um, it will escape pretty quick, so that's when it's necessary to have a barrier material in there.
0: What's currently being used for the barrier?
2: Currently, what's used is metals, but metals um, are toxic to food, um, being being basically touching the food. So, and it's also uh, making it very very difficult to recycle a uh, a bag if you put metal inside together with the plastic.
1: What is the end product that torophene makes that you have this graphene in?
2: Yes, we, um, we're we following this strategy with product number one, two and three. Product number one is a thin flexible film, for uh, example, for bin liners, food wrappers, agriculture, mulch films, et cetera, et cetera. We've sold it to thousands of consumers. Um, we It's available on Amazon. Product number two is not yet commercial. basically a fiber substrate like paper. Basically, we are coating paper. The products there would be paper cups, sachets, pouches, food wrappers, coffee pods, etc. Product number three is a high barrier film, which would be for a product with a long shelf life, shampoo, sachet, ketchup or mustard sachet. And we allow for basically using one type of of plastic or material in the high barrier film. Barrier is provided by the uh, graphene.
1: The end product you're saying is recyclable. Is it also biodegradable?
2: Right. Here uh, it's good to spend some time on on definitions because it can be very uh, confusing. I would uh, bring up a definition first here for what uh, compostable is. So compostable polymers are a subset of biodegradable polymers that are designed to break down under controlled environmental conditions, uh, meaning in the environment, into water, biomass, and gases such as carbon dioxide and methane. Environmental conditions affecting compostability include temperature, moisture level, pH, acidity, oxygen, light and microorganisms. And microorganisms, examples of that is bacteria, um, algae, and the organisms that break things down in nature. It's very different when something is rated biodegradable to when a product is rated to be compostable.
1: Yeah, that's an important distinction too. Could you tell us what the main differences are?
2: Uh, The main difference from biodegradable polymer with compostable is that biodegradable products could be referring to any material which breaks down and degrades in the environment, usually into microplastic. So degrading into smaller pieces, basically. Whereas compostable products degrade in the natural environment to create more nutrition rich soil, meaning compost uh, or and two other words for that are humus or biomass. So basically it enhances the soil and then it leaves water and it gases off some CO2.
1: So which one are you targeting?
2: Yep, we do both. We uh, do what the customers uh, would like. If the customer wants a very high shelf life, let's say that it's a product that's going to stay, you know, in convenience stores for many years, uh, potentially like, you know, a sachet of shampoo, then they would probably want a, a biodegradable product or a pure plastic product if we are dealing with something that is going to be single-use, home compostable designation or certification would be what we recommend and what we would implement.
1: What would a customer come to you with? Is it a product or is it asking you to design some sort of a package?
2: Yeah, it's a bit of both. So they would have, let's say, a sachet today, and it has a metallized barrier layer. And they are asking us, okay, we would like to keep, the barrier properties that we have of this current bag and they send us a sample of it. But we would like to replace the metal layer with a polymer based layer that um, can have graphene in it, um, which becomes like a pigment or like a neutral or inert um, additive that will not reflect on the um, recyclability. And so that they could basically turn it into a mono material. We have potential customers coming to us, um, and they have a concept for a certain barrier that they they want, and then they want to let us propose products for that. Meaning, uh, you could propose a paper-based product with a coating, propose a um, bioplastics or or biopolymer product, which is flexible uh, thin thin film product, or propose a recyclable plastic product. And then we would look at all three and basically try to um, push the envelope of technology on all three. Then there are those that will come and ask for a specific material, um, like seaweed, for example, and um, or it could be mycelium, um, it could be hemp, it could be something else. And then they will basically ask us what how far can you go with performance on this? All of these possibilities are, are there.
0: So I, I've seen when I go and buy compostable bags, uh, oftentimes it says I have to take it to a specific facility and I would love if I could just put it in like my backyard. So what makes it difficult or um, to- Very
2: good question. Yeah. yeah, so when something is rated or certified as home compostable, you should be able to take it into your, your home compost and it will be gone within one year there. I mean, it's certified to do so. Uh, That means home composting conditions is what's specified. What is that? Well, home composting conditions is defined as being at ambient conditions uh, between 20 and 30 degrees Celsius um, on average, uh, with access to moisture, to oxygen, so it cannot be completely tight from oxygen, um, some light, at least on the fringes, and with ample bacteria. And that's the typical home compost. And you have to provide a condition in the home compost so that all of these things are there, uh, or it may take longer.
0: And so what's the difference with industrial composting?
2: An industrial compost is uh, very different. That is an industrial uh, factory, a plant where the temperature is entirely different. It will be brought up to between 55 and 60 uh, degrees Celsius, depending on what um, um, the plant um, specializes in, and uh, the end product tend to be um, energy or biofuels, meaning heat or biofuels, or uh, including biogas, hummus, and water. So you would want to look for the designation um, on your bag to find out uh, where it can go. There is several rating agencies that will certify uh, compostability in these two categories, in Europe, the um, leading organization for uh, certifying for either home compostability or industrial compostability is TÜV Austria. In the U.S., there is the A certification agency for industrial compostability, and uh, there are, you know, equivalent standards in Singapore, in Australia, and other places.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. I didn't realize that when you take it to industrial, they're also using it to produce energy and biofuel and biogas. I assume that mm-hmm. mostly they were just making more compost to give, to give to people.
2: Both do exist. I mean, I'm speaking from an experience of mostly European. Uh, you know, we are based in the UK. Um, I'm originally from Norway, you know, in in Scandinavia and in Germany, particularly, it uh, it goes to biofuels or biogas thing. But I do think also that in other countries, it can be going to compost only.
0: It's interesting how, like, in a hundred years, you shift from biomaterials to fossil fuel plastics back to biomaterials.
2: I think it is sometimes too far one direction, and it swings back.
1: Synthetic polymer in the torphine bags, in the torpene bin bags, I guess?
2: It all depends on the customer. So, if a customer wants to have a price that's um, close to plastic, uh, there will need to be synthetic polymers there because there is a fundamental um, fact of economics. And, you know, I used to be a, a, a finance professor, so I, I'm, I'm, I, I cannot escape this. Um, uh, in, in, in calling out uh, the importance of, of economics. So um, to make biopolymers uh, today, generally the scale of industrial production of that is is 50,000 tons. That's the largest annual production of biopolymer in, in, in a plant for packaging. Now um, you probably won't get financing for a uh, petroleum plant unless it's 2 million tons because it's gonna be considered very small. So there's a factor of 40 in difference in scale economies between the two. And that translates roughly into a third or a quarter of the cost, simply because you don't need that much more people and resources to run a factory that's 40 times larger. Uh, the fixed costs are going to be very similar, but you're obviously now producing um, at a much, much, much faster rate. So economies of scale uh, depict that bio-based polymers and you know cellulose products are going to be three to four times more expensive than plastic or more. And for some customers that we speak with, that is um, too much. So they want to add some uh, fossil fuel plastics into the mix to end up with a product that's still better than using pure plastic because you're using less plastic. And you also, with adding biopolymer together with petroleum based, you are... Making the polymers able to degrade faster and turn into and into soil and into a soil enhancer. So there is basically a spectrum here of what's possible, and we follow the customers what they would like.
0: So I'm just curious. So how does like consumers wanting more bio based materials or caring more about sustainability does that affect the overall economies of scale in terms of trying getting some of these materials more? cheaper or they they really can't do much about it
2: well i i think you know it's a very good question it's a, it's a key question if there is a demand from um consumers that are equal to the demand for let's say plastic from petroleum today um then there would be the possibility for a company like ours but it doesn't have to be us to raise financing based on the consumer demand and to build a factory that does 2 million tons or more. And at that moment, you would have a product that basically can compete on price directly with, with plastic.
0: Interesting. So why are petrochemical-based plastics so cheap in comparison?
2: because the source material for fossil fuel plastic tend to be either gas, and and some of that gas could be gas that otherwise would be uh, basically flared off and which would have little economic value, Um, or it could be uh, petrochemicals that are sort of um, what you could call bottom of the barrel, but not high-end petrochemicals, but low-end petrochemicals or low-price petrochemicals. And so the input uh, feedstock to petroleum plastic is very low uh, low price. But for biopolymers, it could be even lower price. You can actually get paid to take it. Uh, in the case of the remains after palm oil production, for example, that is being burned off um, sometimes. And, and, and um, like lignin from, from the paper industry, it's also not something that costs much at all. Imagine um, waste, organic waste that goes to landfill. People pay to put that onto the landfill, they have to pay a tipping fee. Well, what about not paying that tipping fee, but being able to uh, basically uh, put it into a plant that makes um, uh, biopolymers. So the feedstock cost is almost negligible for both categories. It's only a matter of economies of scale and consumers uh, demanding the same amount of biopolymer as they do uh, fossil fuels would affect the change.
0: Oh, that's very cool. It's interesting to hear that you know consumers might have more power than they they think they have. Yes, exactly. What are the biggest challenges um, in this area that you've seen?
2: The challenge of uh, of price is the biggest one, or cost, because if you're running a, a business and you're used to um, having a certain cost for packaging, tripling it is not something that you do easily. If you um, can avoid it, because you're basically incentivized and remunerated by shareholders to um, produce the highest profit possible. So, um, you know, suggested that there are ways to solve that through basically helping scale up by by increasing demand. Government can help there, and they are doing it already, and they're increasingly doing so by giving uh, some incentives for uh, buying uh, bio-based and recyclable as well. And so that um, there is a minimum recycled content loss being now brought uh, forward in uh, a number of countries is gonna help uh, a lot.
0: What are some other challenges besides cost?
2: Other other than that, um, there is a performance issue in, you know alternatives to let's say virgin virgin plastic so recycled plastic is lower performance than virgin plastic and biopolymer is considerably lower performance than uh, than plastic both recycled plastic and virgin plastic this is where we have focused our strategy basically um, we can add nanomaterials, and nanotechnology into it so that the performance is elevated so it can go back as a um, relatively high value product again and again and uh you know with biopolymers um i think you know gone through that we uh, we do the same so so it, it may sound a little self-serving and we are not the only ones doing this uh though but we think that that's what's needed it's um to bring the the cost down which is to a to a large degree dependent on market forces but Science is what um, is going to solve the problem of performance. And uh, it's a community that work together. I, I, I see big, big, big uh, things coming over these next uh, months and, and, and years.
0: Sounds very exciting. I am excited to see where science will go. How can our listeners get involved and improve their sustainability?
2: It starts with um, getting informed. And there are nonprofits that will give uh, more neutral uh, information out like the World Wildlife Foundation, like Greenpeace, like the Sierra Club, uh, Ellen MacArthur Foundation, uh, Plastic Planet, John Sunderland uh, in in the UK uh, is a leader there, and subscribe to their channels and uh, social media and and, and others. Educate yourself, then you define what works for you. If you you generate a lot of organic waste, uh, look for compostable products, if it's general general waste you can look for more recycled content in your plastic there there isn't now a mandatory requirement for uh, basically showing the carbon footprint of the packaging but i think that's coming so it won't be long until there will either be a government mandate to to show the uh, carbon footprint and the also the um the chemical footprint of the packaging of the product that you are uh, you are buying so that you can actually choose in the store, which would be fantastic. Um, or there will be independent organizations that will be able to give these ratings. And those could be websites and um, and organizations that you can get to to, to to get ratings on the sustainability of the various products. So that will develop over time. And you can encourage that to, to happen as well for the benefit of our plan and our health you have a sustainable practice that you do that you wish others did as well? The, the way that I um, purchase things in um, today you have many brands, uh, right? but you could you could go in and, um, and choose the brand that has the better packaging. I do that now every day when I go to the, to the store. On the shelf, there tends to be um, you know quite good solutions for the, for the planet and for for our health. And then there are those that are not as optimal. Normally people go and shop for the best brand for food, right? Um, and uh, what, what flavor and what they feel is generally, you know, the, 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 the preferable uh, good brand. Take a look at the packaging. That's that's a, a nerdy habit that I have. And uh, I wish that, you know, everybody gets into the habit of that because then we will solve the problem much faster.
0: I think that's awesome. It's definitely a good, good habit.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Everybody sure. become a scientist. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it was really great chatting with you. We really appreciate your time. Um, thank you so much for coming on today. Yep. It was. It was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks a lot. Yeah, to both. Take good care. This episode was edited and produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. Music is by Shang Young. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TGTM Podcast. And leave us comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts. You can also email us at talkgreen to mepodcast at gmail.com.